0: all right well again good morning doxa guys if we haven't had a chance to meet yet my name is rob i'm one of the pastors welcome again uh to doxa but that video guys that you just watched uh, this is something that our church is really just all about that as we set out to start this church about four years ago, we, we did so with the goal that we would exist to share the gospel in our lives for the glory of God and the good of Madison. And that last part, the good of Madison, okay, this is, this is something that we don't just want to kind of talk about and want to be a flag that we kind of fly or anything like that. But this is something that we ultimately want to seek to really just live out. And this is what this Christmas drive is all about, that as we gather together as the Doxa family and we, we worship God, we, we love God, our hearts gradually become more like the heart of God, where we start to love what God loves and care what God cares about. And since God loves the people in Madison, that means as we love God, we also love our neighbors here in the city. And one of the ways, guys, that we seek to love Madison is really just through the formal partnerships that we have through the city with Badger Rock Middle School and Lincoln Elementary. And, and throughout the year, we're, we're in conversations with the leadership of, of these schools and the social workers at these schools, and they continually just tell us like how we can be involved and how we can help and serve families in need. And every year, one of the biggest ways is through this Christmas drive and, and i 'll be honest, I, I love being part of this church family for so many different reasons, but near the top, I think is because God is causing us to be a generous people like our Jesus and I love that there are so many people in our church family that that love and give and serve and care just like the Jesus that we sing to and teach about and pray to and worship and so that video gave all the information that you need to get involved and it 's all on our website too but Guys, here's my my encouragement. Let's just let's do this knowing that as we serve and give in this way, guys, God is being glorified, people are being helped and loved, and our lives are really just saying the right thing about the Jesus that we we say that we love and, and follow. And so let's just open up our hands and and give with the hope and the prayer that as these kids all around these neighborhoods around us, as they receive these gifts, they see the love of Jesus and they ultimately realize that He is the greatest gift. Amen? This is what this is, this is all about, okay? So with that being said, guys, grab your Bibles. Find your way to Daniel chapter 10, all right? This is week 10 of a 12-week study through the great Old Testament book of Daniel. If you're new, we've just kind of been walking through this book kind of chapter by chapter, verse by verse, seeking to discover the gospel according to this man, Daniel, that this book is, is named after, all right? And up until this point, guys, it's been a wild ride, right? I mean, there's just been some stuff in this book, like maybe you're like, oh, I had no idea this, the Bible was like this intensely detailed. All the history, all the prophecy, all the things that we've learned about God and we've learned about ourselves, guys, it's just been really, really profound. In one of my regular prayers guys, is that we wouldn't be people, we wouldn't be Christians who just kind of come to this room and be entertained. You know, they've got these cool lights that we just got. I don't even know that they're lasers or something like, right? We wouldn't just come here and just be entertained by all this stuff and learn certain information. But guys, that we would be people that we would just grab hold of what we learn and seek to actually live it out. All right? Because the truth is, God didn't give us the book of Daniel to just merely inform us but to transform us into the men and women that he's created us to be, people more like Jesus, who is the hope of the world. All right, but here is where we're at today, all right? To catch us up to speed, the first six chapters of Daniel were really just Daniel's biography, this historical narrative of this man, Daniel, and his three friends. And then we got into chapters seven and eight, which revealed kind of like this prophetic vision, the multiple divisions that Daniel was having in conclusions, including the vision and conclusion of Israel's captivity and a message about the conclusion of all things with his vision of the end of time. And then in chapter nine last week, we saw Daniel's great prayer of confession and kind of this revelation of great things that God was doing and great things that God will do. And as we get into chapters 10 through 12, to close out this book, God is just responding to Daniel's prayer. And he's revealing good things ahead of Israel and us, but also hard things that are ahead of Daniel, Israel, and ourselves. And as we get into chapter 10 today, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to kind of walk through this chapter, making some observations along the way so that we can kind of understand what's going on here, and then we're going to wrap up with several just like big picture lessons that we can walk out of here with and apply to our lives, okay? So let's get going. Chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true. And it was a great conflict and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision okay so i'll I'll stop there because guys this verse stands as the heading of everything contained in chapters 10 through 12. but the year is approximately 536 bc and so daniel has been a prisoner of war in babylon for right around 70 years he's right around 84 to 85 years old at this point and here is just this final prophecy that daniel gets Uh, He gets this vision from God concerning the future of his people and really just human history. And what we're going to see, guys, is in these last three chapters, unlike the other visions that Daniel has gotten through this book that were contained in one single chapter, this last vision is actually contained in three chapters. All right, and I just want to show you what this final vision here is given and how it's broken down. I think it's going to come up here on the screen, but chapter 10, we see when and how this vision came to Daniel. Daniel we're going to get into this today. It's kind of a crazy story. We're going to see how it kind of came to Daniel. Chapter 11, which we'll look at next week, is going to be the content of this vision. It's a wild chapter. It's going to be a fun one next week, but it it shows us what Daniel actually saw and what God was communicating to him. And then chapter 12 is how the final vision just kind of concludes. And so this is where we're going. But in chapters 10 through 12, it's about 2,500 years ago, God was revealing to Daniel the future that lied ahead for Israel in all of human history. And today, I want you to just hear this, today in Madison, Wisconsin, November 20th, 2022, we are now living in the midst of the unfolding of what was revealed to Daniel here in chapter 10. And this is what we talked about a few weeks ago concerning prophecy, if you remember this. Remember prophecy, like some of you, this is newer to you and you're like, I don't know what that word means, a crystal ball, like what is that all about? Prophecy is really just God revealing the future in advance. And so prophecy, a right understanding of this, is just all about God's promises. And as you read through the Bible, about 25% of the Bible is prophecy, it's God's promises to us. And we've talked about this, but I need to remind you that there, these are, there's two great threads that kind of weave together and hold together the entire Bible, It's promise and fulfillment. And when you see this, this will greatly help you understand the greatness of God. But as you look at the Old Testament, okay, where we find the book of Daniel, this would simply fit into the category of promise, this is much of the Old Testament. It's promises given by God. And then the New Testament in human history is the, re- the recording of fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus. And so promise and fulfillment weave together the entire Bible. It's God making promises and telling the future and then God fulfilling those promises, showing himself to be sovereign over all creation, which is really just the big idea of Daniel. And I would even say what secular history reveals. But what we see here is that this prophetic vision is about a great conflict, if you look back. It's a great conflict, and this refers to the content of of the vision that we're going to get into in chapter 11. We'll get into this next week. But this also refers to the spiritual warfare that was involved in Daniel receiving an answer to his prayer in chapter 9. And so this is kind of like what we're going to be looking at here in chapter 10. And, And it says, if you look back, that Daniel had an understanding of what this vision was about so he knew that there was gonna be like great hardships ahead, there was gonna be a great conflict for the Jewish people, but there was also this promise of hope and victory that he was holding on to that he had already heard from God in the previous visions. But this experience of the hardship that Daniel was living in and his knowledge of the hardships to come is what leads to verse chapter, or verse two, check this out. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full free three weeks. Okay, so, so Daniel, is, he's mourning for three weeks. And to understand what this means, we got to look ahead to, or to verse 4. Look where it says that the vision came on the 24th day of the first month. Now, this doesn't probably mean a lot to most people, but guys, we know by looking at the Jewish calendar that this reveals that this final vision came to Daniel shortly after the Jewish celebration of Passover. And Passover was just the Jewish festival like celebrating their exodus from Egypt where the Israelites were freed from slavery to the Egyptians. And so they were celebrating the Passover and during this time the Jews would oftentimes just like abstain and fast from certain food and they would be devoted to prayer. And this goes on for seven days But as we see, Daniel extends his observation for an additional two weeks. And he adds some voluntary things and and intensity to it. He's eating no, what does it say, no delicacies, meat or wine. And so for three weeks, all right, Daniel is mourning, he's fasting, and he's praying. And as we've been studying Daniel, guys, this is kind of par for the course for him, right? We've been looking at Daniel... And guys, if, if someone were to ask me to like succinctly describe the man and the prophet, Daniel, there is so much I could say, but I would probably just have to say that Daniel was just a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer. And sure, we could look at Daniel and talk about his courage and his conviction and his faithfulness and his resoluteness, but all of that, here's, here's what I believe, all of that stuff that we've been watching about Daniel, guys, this comes from his life of prayer. Daniel understood something different about prayer, and it's been my prayer that we would actually see this and become people that saw it like Daniel did. But we've been seeing this throughout this book. He prayed in chapter 2 that he might be able to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We know that throughout his life he prayed three times a day, and in chapter 6 he was thrown into a lion's den for it. He prayed that he would understand a vision. We saw the amazing prayer in chapter 9, and now once again, like he always does, he's fervently praying and he had this posture because i think he just knew that he served a god who not only listens to the prayers of his people but responds he had this faith now if you look back like we should ask the question okay like why is he mourning why is he so intense and like just fervent in his prayer here and we the truth is we're not told explicitly but i think if we consider history we can ascertain like just a few potential good reasons because what we know is in 539 bc in the first year of king cyrus of persia's reign all right he made a decree that the jews were freed from slavery in babylon all right they had been there for some 70 years but cyrus takes over the first year that he's in power he makes this decree that they can go back to jerusalem and they could rebuild the temple that nebuchadnezzar had destroyed in 605 bc and as you look at the books, uh, the book of Ezra, for example, um, that you, you'll see that Ezra uh, like really just records a lot of the same time period of history as the book of Daniel. There's a lot of overlap. And throughout Ezra, we see a lot that corresponds with Daniel. For example, in chapter 1, Ezra shares how God moved the heart of Cyrus to release the people from Babylon, to release them from slavery, and to send them back home where they could rebuild the temple. And if you know your Bible, you know that like throughout the scriptures like this was a big deal to rebuild the temple because it was prophesied that this was set up the coming of Jesus Christ. And so really, as God moved the heart of Cyrus to set the people back and to rebuild the temple, this was God orchestrating human history so that Jesus Christ could come in and redeem people, saving people that he loves from sin, Satan, death, and hell. That's Ezra chapter 1. In chapter 2, we learn that even though the Jews were freed from slavery in Babylon, only 50,000 of them actually left Babylon and returned to Israel. The rest kind of stayed in Babylon as slaves. And then in Ezra chapter 3 and 4, we learn that there was great opposition, that the 50,000 that went back to Israel to start rebuilding the temple, there was great opposition for them to even rebuild it, and it took several years. And so for Daniel and his mourning. Because I think that he is intensely prayerful and fasting because he was deeply troub- troubled. That he could have been mourning that he was not able to return to Jerusalem with his people and celebrate Passover. I mean, he could have been troubled that although free to leave slavery in Babylon, many Jews decided to stay in Babylon. And now just think about that, okay? You remember how we started this? Like these Jews were literally ripped away from their homeland, ripped away from their families. They were put into Babylon. They were given new names after pagan gods. They were indoctrinated. Many of them, like Daniel, was made to be a eunuch. And they were forced to work there and live there and to, to forget their God and to become Babylonian. But then this decree gets made and only 50,000 of them leave. It's the seductive power of the spirit of Babylon, which is the spirit of Babylon is just like this spirit of excess in wealth and anti-God ideology. Guys, this is is the culture. The culture just crept into them in such a way that they believed like, hey, I don't really need God. We're already here, we're comfortable, we have everything we need. Sure, there's some other things, but, and they just stayed. Daniel was probably mourning over that. He could also have been like deeply troubled because he heard the news that the rebuilding of the temple was delayed because of this intense opposition. And most certainly, you know, he was burdened because he knew from all these visions that he had been having that ahead of Israel, while there was a future promise of victory and hope, that there was going to be many years of very real hardships. And guys, I would suggest to you that this is the place that every Christian finds themselves in today. Christian, I'll, just, I'll speak to you. Like, there is a promise that we cling to, right? That because of our faith in Jesus, we know that we've been forgiven of sin. We've been rescued from the eternal effects of sin, which is just the complete absence of God in hell. And we know that there will come a day when Jesus will return. He will put an end to all suffering and sin and sadness. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will only be glory. There will only be joy in perfection. These are promises that we hold on to because the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and his words to us. But here's the thing. We don't know when that day will come. And for some of us, our lives as we wait for that day may be relatively easy and peaceful. For some of you, you're not gonna have like an intense degree of suffering. And praise God for that. You should praise God for that. But others of us, you will wake up every day and it seems like you're just taking it on the chin. There's just an intense amount of suffering and pain and present trials. You will go through that. But regardless of what your life experience, there will be some degree of difficulty in all of our lives. And faith in Jesus won't remove those present trials and temptations and suffering. But hear me on this. Through faith in Jesus, those hard days will come to an end. They will most certainly come to the end. All right, that for the Christian, hear me on this. This life that you're living right now is the closest to hell that we will ever get because the best is yet to come. Do you know that? And this is what we hold on to, this is the hope that we have. And it should produce worship, wonder, awe, and praise. But conversely, we also need to come to -to face-to-face with the reality that the person who has not come to Jesus in faith, I want you to know that this life that you're living is the closest to heaven that you will ever get. Because as you pass through this life into the next, if you're without Jesus, there are no promises of joy and hope and peace for you. There's just death an eternal separation from God, eternal separation from all goodness. And this is why we love Jesus so much, right? And this is why we want everyone to know Jesus. Amen? Because Jesus is what we all need above everything, above anything in this world that we think we need. It's Jesus. And I want you to know it's my great joy, if you are, have not come to Jesus, if you're newer to church, you're newer to the Bible, it's my honor today to tell you that God loves you and he has made a way for you. And you're not here on accident. And this church exists to tell you that no matter where you're at and what you have done and what you believe that God loves you, Jesus died for your sin. We all are affected by sin. And sin is just anything and everything that's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the nature of sin is it separates. It separates us from God and people. And if we walk through this life into the next without closing that gap, this is where we get into eternal separation, which is the terrible conscious reality of hell. But God in his great love, not just for the masses of people, but for you specifically, he sent Jesus to live for you, to die for you, and to raise for you. And if you come to him in faith, he takes your sin, even though you're not deserving, he gives you his righteousness and seals you for the day of redemption that you can have a future to look forward to, like I just described. Guys, this is the gospel. This is what the entire Bible is about. This is what this church is about. This is about, ultimately, what all of life is about. It's all about Jesus. But back to this, guys, regardless of the exact reason for Daniel's mourning, we see that Daniel turned to God in prayer. And as we are gonna see, God responds to Daniel's prayer, that God is about to give Daniel a final vision of the future, which is chapter 11. But before that, hear this, guys, Daniel learns of a spiritual reality in our world. And before I go any further, I've been wrestling with this all week, okay? I just want to say this. Guys, this might be one of the strangest chapters in the Bible. Straight up. You know, when we were thinking about preaching through Daniel, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be great. And then every week, I'm like, "Geez, oh man, right? But I I will say this, guys. This little interjection is for those of you who are like me, like 16 years ago. Didn't know Jesus, was not familiar with the church, never really read a Bible. And if I would have stepped into a church on a Sunday morning like this, going over this topic, I would've sat here and I would've been like, I should've sat on the end. This is weird, these people are weird, I'm out of here. Okay? Because this is just, it's, it's, it's strange. But I just wanna tell you, guys, this is God's word. And we believe it to be true. We believe what Daniel is saying to be true because Jesus talked about Daniel and told us we should listen to him. And then Jesus, as he rose from the dead, He vindicated and validated his claims to be God, and so what we're actually looking at and reading and considering today is true. And so you might never have considered what we're about to consider, but I want you to know that it's for your good, and God loves you, so he wants you to know this. But here's what you need to know. There is a spiritual reality to our world that we don't see. And I'll frame it like this, okay? I'm going to take you back. Go with me on this journey. I'm going to take you back to the beginning and the height of the COVID pandemic. Okay, I know a lot of you are like, no, no thanks, I'm good, right? But just go back there with me. And, th- and I want you to think about that time. All right, do you remember the continual refrain that we kept hearing during the pandemic? Every news channel kept saying it. That the world is at war against an unseen enemy that is seeking to take our lives. Do you remember that? This unseen virus that was taking lives, causing all kinds of problems in our world. And people kept saying, the world is at war against an unseen enemy that is seeking to take our lives. Here's what I want you to know. That statement is not just true of COVID, but it's the storyline of all of human history. See, Daniel 10 gives us insight into the world that we live in. You need to know that in our world there are two realms, but for God there is one reality. In this this reality of of different realms, guys, it might sound strange to you, but you know, like physicists and all this, they talk about these different realms in just like the scientific community apart from God. But there is, in fact, two realms, but for God one reality. But the supernatural realm of the spiritual realm where there are divine beings of angels and demons. And we've been seeing this all over Daniel. But we're going to give it, be given a very clear picture here in this chapter that there's this supernatural realm of spiritual beings, but we're in this physical world of human beings. And what God is showing us in chapter 10 is that there's a lot more going on in our world all around us than we even see. And if you're newer to the Bible, again, this can sound strange, but this is so important to understand because the storyline of the Bible and the worldview of the Bible is this, is that there is, in fact, one God, and he created everything that we see and know and everything that we don't see and we don't know. And before he created humanity, he created spirit beings called angels, And these angels, they were in the presence of God, they were in relationship with God, they were worshiping God, but there were some out of great pride that declared war on God and they tried to overthrow God as king and establish their own kingdom. This is Satan. And Satan and the other angels, they lost that war, they were cast down to earth, out of heaven, out of the presence of God, and they're no longer angels, but they're called demons. And ever since that day, they continually seek to do the same thing that got them kicked out of God's presence. They seek to oppose God and destroy all of God's creation, which includes humanity, who is the pinnacle of God's creation, because we bear his image. And if you're familiar with your Bible, we get glimpses of this reality all throughout the scriptures. For example, in 1 John 5, verse 19, the apostle John says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In 1 Peter 5, 8, the Apostle Peter says that Satan is roaming around like a a roaring lion seeking to devour. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says our struggle in this life is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities and the spiritual forces of evil in our world. And then here in Daniel chapter 10, we're about to see this reality very clearly. You just need to understand that what is happening in our physical world is connected to the spiritual world. If you've never considered that before, this is absolutely true, and we see it throughout the scriptures, that before we had any war on earth, there was a war in heaven, and all of our little wars are part of this greater war, this eternal war, this cosmic war, and you need to know that Satan in the the demonic realm is actually real. But the good news is that God always defeats Satan. This is ultimately our source of eternal hope. Amen? But we live in the midst of this conflict, and this is the backdrop of the book of Daniel. And so you're about to peer in to this unseen realm where God's going to kind of lift the curtain and show us what's going on. The big idea, guys, is this, is that God shows us what's going on around us to give perspective to us. That he doesn't want us to be ignorant of what's going on around us in our lives, but he wants to help us to know how to fight against it. Look at verse four. On the 24th day of the, of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river that is, called, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold and upas around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words were like sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sounds of his words, I fell on my face deep sleep, with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, Man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, fear not, Daniel. So Daniel is mourning, he's praying, he's fasting, and he's just seeking God for help. And God sends this divine being to help Daniel. And if you're more inquisitive as you read the Bible and you're asking questions, like the natural question is like, who is this guy that shows up? And the truth is, guys, scholars are divided. Some will say that this is a Christophany, which is really just a a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, like we saw in Daniel chapter 3. And they'll say this because there's a similar description in Revelation chapter 1. But the problem with this interpretation is that when you look down, if you just glance down to verse 13, it says that this being was actually kind of battling with another being called the Prince of Persia, which we'll get into here in just a minute. But it seems unlikely that Jesus, the king of kings, would have struggles with any form of opposition. And some people that would view this as Jesus, they'll they'll say, well, it was Jesus that showed up at first, but then he was replaced by this other angel who was the one struggling. But you could read this text like that, but it doesn't kind of show us that there were actually two beings that appeared to Daniel. And so all that to say, I believe that this is an angel that God sent. And unlike chapter eight, where this angel is named, the, this angel here is is not all right but here's what i want you to know guys. that in addition to god's human family made up of people who have come to jesus in faith i want you to know that god has a divine family but just as god has servants in the seen realm christians god also has them in the unseen realm and these are angels and here's what we're seeing, and I hope this encourages you, and I hope this strengthens you. See, when we are in war, when we're in a battle, when we're going through a hard time, God's entire family is in the war, in the battle, and in the hard time, meaning that God's angels are in the fight with us. Christian, you just need to know this. You need to know that there are realities going on behind the reality that you see. That there are realities that only God sees and what is playing out physically is also playing out spiritually. And this is what we oftentimes call spiritual warfare. All right, But as Daniel is suffering in this physical realm and God's people are fearful in this physical realm, he gets this revelation, the curtain is kind of lifted up and Daniel sees the divine beings there and they're fighting with the human beings and for the human beings. I want you to be encouraged by this, that God is always at work Even when you don't see it, God is always at work and his divine family is part of this war, fighting on your behalf. You're never alone. You're never alone. And so this angel shows up to Daniel and Daniel's terrified, he passes out, he's trembling. This is a term that we frequently see throughout the Bible to describe what people do when they come in contact with the supernatural realm. But then he hears the words of verse 11, look back. Daniel, you are loved. I've been sent to help you. And Christian, I want to remind you of this great truth. You are loved by God. And you're actually never alone facing your struggles by yourself. God is a father. You are his kids through Jesus. And he loves you, he sees you, he hears you, and he helps you by fighting for you. Allow that to give you some perspective when you go through times of hardship. Allow that to just give you perspective that what you might be going through right now may be really, really hard. And I want you to know that you're never alone, that God is with us, and the divine family of God is fighting for us, and we know that God is good, and so we can trust him with our lives and with our futures because all that he ever does is good. We need to know this. This is a beautiful truth. And this is what Daniel has been modeling for us this entire book as he was taken into slavery into Babylon some 70 years ago. Now look at verse 12. The angel speaks again. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. So he's been praying for three weeks. He said, Since that day, your words have been heard, and I have have come because of your words. I want you to underline that in your Bible. I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make, known, or make you understand what is to happen to your people in the later days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was, and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the ch- children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Lot there, I'll say this. Daniel's prayers were heard, and God responded by sending help. Now, if you're looking at the timeline, okay, you have this godly guy, Daniel. He's fasting, he's praying, he's crying out to God. He waits three weeks, and nothing happens. Have you felt like that? Are you there now? Like, you're like, God, I love you. I serve you. I trust you. It's been three weeks. Nothing. And you sit there and you say, why? I mean, is it that God doesn't exist? Is it that God doesn't love you? Is that you messed up too bad last night and he just doesn't care about you anymore? Is God too busy? Hear me on this. The answer is an emphatic no. Okay? Daniel 10 shows us That there are things happening that you may not be seeing and this is amazing and this is so helpful for our perspective on life in God in prayer that God is always working but there are things going on that we don't see and they affect our experience and our perspective and here there was a spiritual struggle that led to the delay of Daniel receiving an answer to his prayers now if you notice if you look back we have three beings talked about here you have the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece, and then this guy, Michael, your prince. And I'll, and I'll tell you guys, this is the clearest example in all of the Bible of what some people today call territorial spirits. And I want to explain this to you, okay? Because this text really just demands us to do something with this. But verse 13, if you look, refers to the prince of the kingdom of Persia. And the natural meaning of this phrase would be that among like the, the supernatural beings opposed to God... At least one is assigned to a territory or more accurately to a kingdom namely Persia and presumably their job is to darken the people of Persia to keep them from having the truth and the light of God's Word and from them to keep them from seeing the love of God and knowing ultimately Jesus but this spirit is not the only one that's mentioned here if you look at verses 21 or 20 and 21 this angel comes to Daniel and says he's going back to fight against the prince of the kingdom of Persia and defeat him. And then there was going to be another spirit that comes onto the scene, the prince of Greece. And this goes back to the vision of the Greeks taking over the Medo-Persians, right, after they took over Babylon. But here what we're seeing is that different kingdoms rise and fall and different demonic spirits hold power and have to be dealt with by God's messenger in order for God to accomplish his purposes. And so what this is, is this appears that there was a spirit over Persia and a spirit over Greece, but it also seems that Michael, this good angel, has some special assignment over Israel. Because it says in verse 21, Michael, your prince. And that your there is is plural in the Hebrew. So this is not referring to Daniel's guardian angel, but this is referring specifically to Israel's guardian angel. And so what we can conclude from all of this, guys, is that as weird as it can sound, that there is good biblical reason for thinking that there are powerful evil spirits with special appointments from Satan over the kingdoms of this world. And I know some of you are like, this is why I don't read the Old Testament, right? It's just weird, it's wacky, let's just stay with Jesus and the Gospels. That makes me feel... If that's you, I want you to remember back to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 6. You remember this? Jesus... Is being tempted by Satan you remember what Satan did Satan took Jesus up and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and then he tempts him with this word these words to you I will give all this authority and all their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will so we see this reality throughout the Bible that Satan has some rule and some power in this world it's it's inflated because he doesn't recognize his relationship with the sovereignty of god but under god it is true that satan is the god of this world this is what paul says in second corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 and it's probably true that satan gives this his power to those who worship him we see this in revelation chapter 13 verse 2 and if you look at mark chapter 3 verse 22 it says that satan is the prince of demons And when we look at places like Revelation 12, Matthew 13, 2 Timothy 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 2, we see that Satan and his demons, what they do is they seek to deceive the people of this world. They seek to blind people from Jesus, to take captive people to do his will, to hinder gospel movement, to thwart missionary activity. This is what Satan and his demons do. And if we are ignorant of this, because we miss out on the spiritual reality, which is ultimately one reality for God. It's important for us to know this spiritual realm is real. Satan and demons are real. And throughout our study of the scripture, we can conclude that there are in fact demonic spirits that oppress certain areas and people in our world today to bring about a spiritual darkness so that people will not meet Jesus because Jesus doesn't, or he doesn't want people to meet Jesus. He wants to destroy God's creation. Satan is a liar. He is a deceiver. And he is trying to blind the world from people knowing Jesus. And so let me land this thing, okay? You're like, where the heck are you going to go with this, right? It's a good question, right? Big idea. God shows us what's going on around us to give perspective to us. He wants us to know about the reality that we live in to help us know how to fight against Him. So two lessons to learn from Daniel chapter 10. First, we need to take the supernatural seriously, but not too seriously. And here's what I mean by that. All right, C.S. Lewis said it like this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which people can think about demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And so it's not to be ignorant, and it's not to be obsessed. We're in the middle, where we know it's real. We're not going to deny it, and we're not going to obsess over it. We need to just realize that we're in a battle. And we shouldn't, like, kind of domesticate and reinterpret everything that the Bible tells us to fit nicely with, like, secular and naturalistic way of thinking. We need to be ready for the extraordinary as well as the ordinary ways that evil and Satan and demons work in our world and we should not be presumptuous as though demons are weak but we also shouldn't be anxious as though they're stronger than Jesus because they're not Jesus is the King of Kings and at the name of Jesus every knee will bow on heaven and on earth Jesus is King so we don't need not be anxious because we have a great powerful King but we live in an unseen battle Because it's a battle to live in our culture faithfully and walk faithfully with God. It's a battle to share the gospel with people today. Because Satan doesn't want people to know Jesus. He doesn't want them to find forgiveness of sin. He wants to destroy God's creation. It's a battle for us to grow in the likeness of Jesus. Satan doesn't want you to have victory and freedom from sin and temptation because he wants to do everything possible to get you to stray away from Jesus and his plan for you. You just need to know this. That's the hardest battle you will ever fight in your life, to stay close to God in our world today. But listen, even though this is true, the angel says two things to Daniel two different times. You're greatly loved and fear not. This is a divine gift from God for the children of God in the midst of this unseen battle. Peace and courage. So what do we do? What do we do with that, right? Do we just live in this battle and just kinda hang out with peace and courage and hope that we don't get hit by a sniper? Like, what do we actually, what do we do? Do we just white-knuckle it through this life until we get to heaven? Here's how I'll end. The second lesson, guys, you need to know we have weapons to fight in this battle. We have the word and we have prayer. And we see this in Daniel's life. Throughout his life, Daniel clung to the book of truth in verse 21, the word of God. And God's words to us in the Bible and his truths for us, like they fight to help us to like know what deception and lies are. They teach us the schemes of the enemy that would bring us down, that would tear us away from God. They keep us tethered. This is what the Bible does. It keeps us tethered to God because this is like our true north. We actually know who God is and what God says, and so we're not influenced by lies and just culture and everything else, but we can actually know who God is and what he has said. And this doesn't just inform us, but it transforms us to be more like Jesus. And as this happens, as we're made more like Jesus, we're able to stand firm in the battle. But then we can enter the battle like Jesus and love and serve and help and care for the people in our lives that God loves just like Jesus did. But in addition to God's word, we see here that Daniel actually shows us that prayer is a weapon. All right, I, prayer is not just like something that we do to like transition people off the stage, right? It's not just something that you do to like right before your, your, your meal, okay? I want you to know that prayer is Guys, is how we step into battle. And I've been like learning this, and it's changed the way that I've prayed, and I, I'm hoping that the Spirit of God would like help us to know this, but it's how we go to battle. There's a man named D. Duke. He says it like this. Almost every Christian believes that prayer is important, but there's a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing that it's essential. Essential means that there are things that will not happen without prayer. Because Daniel believed that prayer was essential. He was convinced certain things would not happen if he was not on his knees and praying. If you look back to verse 12, the angel says, I came because you prayed. And so I wonder, like it doesn't say this, but I wonder, would that angel have come if Daniel wouldn't have prayed? There was a response. Daniel got on his knees, he called out to God, and the angel says, I was sent to you because your words went up to heaven and the Father heard you. Because this is prayer. It's not just a passive thing, prayer is war. In Ephesians 6, right, we hear about the armor of God. We're told to you know, put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, take up the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, but listen to this. After Paul mentions all of these like armors that we put on to walk in life in this battle, he says in verse 18, praying at all times. See, prayer is not just an additional thing for the Christian. It's the essential thing. And even for Paul, as he talks about the armor of God, it's prayer that permeates everything. And so Paul is saying, put on the belt of truth praying as you pray, put on the breastplate of righteousness. As you pray, pray, pray. Prayer is a weapon for this battle, and when we pray, things happen. God hears and he responds, and we push back. We push back the bar, the powers of darkness. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to we're going to go to battle, and we're going to pray. And I know that some of you, like, you're just like, man, uh, this was weird enough, and now I got to sit here and just pray. Yep. I want you just to take a moment and just go before God. Talk to Him, recognizing that everything is spiritual, the physical is is connected to the, the spiritual. Maybe it feels like there is a battle in your home with your spouse. And it could be that just because you're a jerk and you need to repent of your sin, but I know that Satan does not like marriage because it's an image and a reflection of Jesus and the church. And maybe you just pray for God to just protect and help your marriage. Maybe you would just pray for our city, that God would show up and help the city to know Jesus. Let's go before him, whatever's on your heart, whatever you need help with, whatever your battle is right now, just go before God, talk to him, just pray.